Welcome to the P Primo Show. It is episode 124, and we are going to talk about your leadership legacy with Oakland McCullough, retired lieutenant colonel from the Army, and I am so excited to have him, and, and we're going to pay the bills, but before I even pay the bills, I want to say this. Thank you for your service, sir. If you haven't bought my book, what are you waiting for? Sell a million. 101 tips for furniture and mattress stores to sell another million dollars this year. And I'd love to thank Steve Hauk and the entire Mattress Industry Network. I think we might have just gone over 2,000. If not, we're knocking on it. Uh, the Mattress Industry Network group is a great Facebook group. It's 100% free. And if you are in the industry and you want to learn how to build, market, sell, and succeed in the mattress industry, this is the group for you. It is a group run by retailers. And Steve, just a quick shout out. I don't know if you're mobile yet. I hope they've delivered you your new mobile home because I would not want to be stuck away from home with eight kids, which you have been. So our thoughts and our prayers are with you, my friend. And without a further to do, let's bring Oak on. And Oak, I loved your book so much. Your leadership legacy is just chock full of great nuggets. We're going to try to get the highlights of the book, but anybody that's watching, uh, it's very rare for me to listen to a book on Audible, listen to it a second time, and then buy the hardback copy because I'm that guy that literally wants to save two or three dollars and I buy paperbacks. But this book was worthy of getting in hard in, in a hardbound copy. So thank you for your service, Oak. And I'm so glad you're here. Um, I was laughing at times when I read your book, and at times I was crying. And I'm like, there in today's economy, the way it is, and how tough it is for some retailers, it's really an important book and it's a really important subject. And, you know, you've got over 40 years of experience in leadership. And I guess it started in the military, but my sneaking suspicion, Oak, is you were a leader. You were a leader before you ever were in the military. Uh, I was. I, I was always captain of my athletic team that played baseball, basketball, football in high school and baseball in college. And and I was student government pr president and class president. So I, I, I've been doing leadership stuff for a long time in a lot of different organizations, a lot of different levels. But, uh, you know, it's so important. I, you know, I always tell people that leadership, two things determine the success of a company, the leadership and the communications inside that. And I think that uh, no matter what profession, no matter what level, leadership is so important. And that's why I'm, I'm thrilled when I go, I'm going out talking to, to different organizations. I'm talking to a wide variety of organizations. I've talked to universities. I've talked to healthcare risk management associations. A couple of weeks ago, I was in San Francisco talking to a fiduciary association conference, first responders. I an HR conference, I mean, all kinds of people, because leadership is so important. So let me ask you this. In your mind, 
What are the mistakes that people make when it comes to just their thinking about leadership, what it is and what it's not? Uh, That's a great question. I think a lot of people, certainly young leaders, probably the number one mistake they make is they, they forget it's not only them. You know, it's not about their decisions and their knowledge and their abilities and skills. And you try to micromanage people. And when you do that, you're cheating yourself and your organization out of all that experience and all the knowledge and abilities that everybody who works for you has. And I'll give you an example. When I took over brand new second lieutenant at States Army, 24 years old, took over my first platoon and my platoon sergeant, the uh, senior NCO in my platoon was, and I'll never forget the guy, Sergeant First Class Pinson. He was about six foot six, about 250 pounds, boy from Mississippi. And he called me over the first day. He called me over and said, let's go have lunch. I got there about noontime and we went over and had MRE under the tree. And he said, you know, sir, you're, you're in charge. You're the boss. We'll do things any way you want to do it. He said, but I've been in the army 23 years. He'd been in the army almost as long as I'd been alive. So why would I not listen? And he said, if you're screwing up, I'm going to tell you that. If you still want to do it, we'll do it your way. You're the boss. He said, but it's my job to tell you when you're about ready to mess up. You know, and what, and, and I took that to heart. And one, I made a decision. I didn't put it out to anybody, but I admitted without talking to him. And I said, you know, Sergeant Pinson, I think we're going to do this. And he looked at me and said, you really want to do it that way? And I said, well, I thought I did, but maybe not. <laughs> you know, so one I, of the, I think that's the number one mistake young leaders make is they don't use people on their team. Yeah. And I think that there's this misnomer that, or mistake that somehow leadership is bossing people around when you kind of take that to the nth degree. And it's really not really great. Leadership is all about focusing on helping the people you're leading and taking responsibility for them. And I loved in your book um, where you said, you know, you can, you can outsource and you can delegate um, a lot of things, but there's one thing you can't. And the one thing that you can't as a leader is you can't delegate responsibility. That is yours and yours alone. Right. And I thought, man, there are so many mid-level managers that don't get that. There's so um, many senior leaders. Yeah, executive in leaders. In every profession. Yeah, yeah, across the board, without without a doubt. And it, it's a huge mistake. Where do you think that comes from? So I, th- I think part of it is people get so focused on their career and they think that if they make a mistake, that it's going to kill their career. Whereas somebody inside their organization makes a mistake, it's going to kill their career. You know, and I, I, and I, and I disagree with that. I I had a boss one time who retired a four-star general, so obviously way smarter than me. And he said to me one time, he said, you know, leadership is on a scale. And on this end of the scale, you got that 
authoritarian micromanaging, do things exactly as I tell you to do it, leader, that nobody wants to work for. And we've all worked for that person. Hate it. And then on this end of the scale, you got a till hunt in chaos. He said, and Oak, you want to be as close to till the hunt and as far down that chaos scale as you can get. And he said, this two reasons why. He said, number one, because that's where creativity happens. He said, that's when you're using other people's ability, other people's skills, other people's knowledge, and giving them the freedom to do things the way they would do it. He said, and the way you get there is very simple. He said, you train them to a standard. You know they can accomplish what you're asking them to do. And they, you know that they're, they'll, fall in, they'll follow your culture of the organization. He said, number two, you give them the resources they need, time, money, people, whatever it is. And then you give them authority to make decisions on their own. Obviously, you don't wash your hands of it. I mean, you're there to answer questions. You're there to give advice if they need it, whatever. But you let them do it the way they want to do it. And you'll be absolutely shocked. Will, will they do it the way you would have done it? Probably not. But who cares? As long as they do what you ask them to do and they give you the product that you ask them to give you, who cares how they got there? But that's, I think, so many leaders today, they're so afraid somebody's going to make a mistake. And it's going to reflect on them that they just want to micromanage everything and direct everything. And, and, and that's just not the way it should be. You're still responsible, but if you're doing it right, you, you ought to feel comfortable letting people make some decisions. You know, I, I've, I've read a lot about leadership and, and to me, there's a, there's a big separating point and it's what we just covered. The, the real leaders, the leaders that really own leadership and, and you, what you did for most of your career is you were creating leaders. I mean, you weren't just a leader, you were creating leaders. So that's a whole nother level of leadership. And it takes, uh, it takes a lot more, um, a, a lot, a lot more strategy, and it takes a giving them enough freedom so that when they are in a leadership position, they know what to do and and they can do it. But here's this to me: the thing that separates the leadership, the true experts, from the not true experts, and that is this understanding that if I ride my people too hard, I'm going to stifle their creativity. And if I let them do their jobs, and one of the things I loved about your book, and it really stuck with me, is you gave examples <laughs> in your career where, where people did not, you know, they, they told you, you know, go ahead and do it. And then you started to do it. And then they sort of starting to tell you how you're like, no, just let me do it. And I love that. And I love the fact that you brought that into your leadership uh, development process um, that you're encouraging uh, leaders uh, to uh, lead in a way that encourages creativity. Because to your point of what you said, just to unpack it just a little bit more, 
when when a when a group of people is at their very best, it's when everybody feels secure in their being trained to a standard, understanding the resources they have, and knowing that you trust them with the authority to make decisions, even to screw it up. And when those all exist together, that's where creativity flourishes. And when that creativeness is in a company, that company is stronger. And the the opposite's true. When you stifle and you micromanage people, they never come to you with ideas. All they want to do is get through the day without being yelled at, right? Well, here's the problem with micromanaging and being an authoritarian leader is that, you know, because most of them will bite your head off if you make a mistake. And so why would, why would I try to do anything than exactly what you told me to do? Because if I make a mistake, you're going to blame me and I'm going to take the fall for it. So nobody does it. Look, it all comes down to trust because leadership is about people. Plain, simple. It's not about flow charts. It's not about organizational. It's not even about bottom line. Now, I got it. If you own a business, you got to make money. But if you do it right, if you do the servant leadership thing right and you treat people right, you're going to make money because you're going to make better people who then will do better jobs for your organization and you're going to, your organization is going to thrive. But it all comes down to people and trust. And that trust is a three-way, three-way trust. It's not just the leader, the people who are being led trusting the leader. That's huge and that's important. But it's also the, the leader trusting the people that you have working for you by training them, understanding them, getting to know them. But it's also the people inside the organization have to trust each other. You know, Vince Lombardi, and I put it in my, in my book and I use it in my presentation all the time. It's one of my favorite quotes. A team is not a group of people who play together. A team is a group of people who trust each other. And that, and that is so true because it is all about people. Plain and simple. Leadership's about people. That's why I say, I don't care Leadership is leadership. I don't care what profession you learned, how to lead in and where you practiced it. You can, if you can lead people, you can lead any organization. And I, I prove that. I mean, I, I was a combat arms officer. I fought our nation wars for 23 years. And then I ran a food bank for two years. You don't get any different than that. That's a 180 degree difference and was very successful at it because I know how to lead people. That's what it's all about. So. One of the best examples in your book that I absolutely love is you are up against a deadline and you're working at the food bank and four o'clock rolls around and everyone starts leaving. Tell the story. It, it's just, it, I love it. It's so yeah, well. I, the context used that story and was how you motivate people. And, you know, in the army, motivating people is easy. As a combat arms officer, you know, we fight our nation's wars. We defend the Constitution of the United States. We defend the American way of life. Easy. Soldiers motivated. No problem. That didn't work at the food. I'll go there. Um, so I really struggled for a little bit trying to figure out what motivated people at the food bank. And one day we were in a meeting talking about this food handout we were going to have. It was the largest food handout every year. 
and it was about three weeks away. And we were going through the meet, the meeting, planning meeting, trying to make sure everything right. And all of a sudden I see people closing their books and putting stuff away, like they're ready to leave. And I said, what are you doing? And they said, well, it's four o'clock. It's time to go home. And I said, well, we're not done. And they said, but it's four o'clock. And I said, if you want to leave, go ahead and leave. I said, but before you leave, I want you to know one thing. Three weeks from now, when we hand out food and some 19-year-old unmarried young girl has to go home and can't feed her two-year-old daughter because we didn't get this right, it's your fault. Not a single person left. Figured it out. To, to me, that is what leadership is all about. Understanding what motivates somebody else and using that to keep them on track and making them want to be part of the process. Yeah, it just, it just took reminding them why, why they joined that organization. You know, and I always tell people, the way to figure out what motivates your people, and that's, that's why people work for you, is really figure out what makes your organization you, because that's probably why they joined your organization in the first place. And mm. if you can figure that piece out, then it's easier to motivate people. And, but sometimes you have to remind people why it was, what it is that motivates them and why they're in your organization and want to be a part of your organization. Because are, everybody's human. I mean, we get overcome by events. We get overcome by, by other things in life are dragging us down or weighing on us. And so every once in a while, we just got to remind people what it is that, why we're here and what motivates us. And what's the importance of what we're doing? In your, in your leadership practice, Oak, I'm sure that when you get inside of a, of a company, uh, you start to see uh, mistakes that have been made. Have, have you ever um, just thrown your hands up and walked away because you realize the biggest problem was the CEO and there's nothing I can do to fix this. So, so I, I have um, situations where the problem was the senior leaders. And I'm just brutally honest with them. And, and I tell them, look, you're the cause of the, a lot of the problems here. And it's not because you're trying to. I don't think it's the case. I said, you just don't know what you're doing. Um, doing to your organization. They know how to run they know the business that they're doing. They just don't understand the principles of leadership, servant leadership, certainly. And simple things like trust. Again, it all goes back to, I said, nobody trusts you. He says, so how do I build that trust? And I said, first of all, you can't caring for people because they'll look right, they'll see right through that. You have to honestly decide that you want to care about the people who are working for you. And there's a couple ways to do that. I said, number one, if you want to start building trust in this organization, get out from behind your desk. Nobody wants to follow somebody who's behind their desk. All day. That's not following people. Following means you have to be out there and they have to want to follow you. So get out. I, I'm a firm, I'm a huge believer in leading from walking around. So just get out and walk around, talk to people, get to know people. And a couple of things, ways to do that. And I always give people this advice, certainly young leaders, but anybody else that wants to listen, 
a great way to get to know, know the people who work for you is go out every day and find out, find one person in your organization and find out one new thing about that person. Not about work, about their personal life, their spouses, their kids. How many kids do they have? What sports do their kids play? What hobbies does that person have? Find one new thing out every day about one person in your organization. And a great way to do that is this. Number one, get out from behind your desk, walk around. Number two, I had a boss who retired a three-star general and he said, Oak, never, ever, ever turn down your chance to go get your own cup of coffee. I don't care how, how high up in the organization you get. And he said, when you do that, a couple of things. Number one, you prove to everybody in your organization that you are no better than they are, that you have to go get your own cup of coffee like they do. And number two, if you're lucky, you got two or three different ways to get to the coffee pot back to your office. And along the way, you stop and talk to people and just find out how they're doing today. Jim uh, Fuse is a is a uh, former Marine, right? And uh, so he's giving you a little bit of a shout out there. Yeah, well, I was lucky enough to be on his show as well. Tim and, Tim and Tim's show or the Tim and Jim show. Hey, Steve, where are you? What are you doing? What state are you in? Are all eight children alive? Are you alive? <laughs> Steve has had an, an adventure, bar none. Yeah. Um, his his vehicle that he took this road trip on broke down with, with his wife and eight children. <laughs> the promised vehicle that he purchased wasn't delivered, as far as I know, unless it's happened recently. Um, get your own cup of coffee. You know, that's huge. Guy Dane says, evening, gents. Enjoy military leadership is a success factor. Guy and Kyle in South Africa. Yeah, you know, one of the things that surprised me, um, when I think of military leadership, I think of some movies that I've seen. And after getting through this book twice on Audible and once in hardback, I realize that leadership is leadership. And it's done with people, for people. And when your heart is in the right place and your number one concern is people, it comes through in everything that you say and, and do. So get your own cup of coffee. Any other gems like that? That's awesome. I, I think, you know, that was, that was huge. Um, yeah. I, one of the other things that happened to me, and, you know, I've been lucky. I've had, I've had those authoritarian leaders in the army and out of the army. And like I said, nobody likes to work for those people, but I've been lucky. I've had some great servant leaders, uh, throughout my career who not only shown me what servant leadership is and what good leadership, but then decided for whatever reason to be a mentor of mine and allow me to, to get some, um, great knowledge and advice from. And one of them, he retired, same guy who told me about the cup of coffee give you a story. I mean, again, it's about people. So I was working in an S3 shop, uh, operations shop, writing out orders and running the day-to-day -day operations of a, of a cab cavalry unit. And I was a senior first lieutenant. 
And the major who was in charge of that shop was one of those authoritarian, if I'm in my office, you've got to be in your office type of people. You know, of course, he was unmarried and he was in his office till six, seven, eight o'clock at night. Well, I was married, had two little kids at home. So I mean, that was tough. So I got a new major in. First day, the new major's in. I'm in my office at five o'clock working on an operation order that isn't due for about three more weeks. And he walks up to my, the door of my office and he sticks his head in and he says, Oak, what are you doing? And I said, well, I'm right now working on an op order that's, um, that's going to be due. And he says, is it, is it due tomorrow morning? And I said, no, sir. He said, then go home. Morale in that organization went <laughs> through the roof. And, and so when I became an operations officer like him a few years later, first day in the office, I called everybody, 30 people working for me. I called them all together and I said, what? This is really simple. There are going to be times when I need you here at eight o'clock at night, but only if I tell you to be here. If I don't tell you I need to have you here, At five o'clock, go home and spend time with your family or somebody else's family or whatever it is you do on off time. I don't care if you don't be doing it here. And and so I, I, that was a lesson I learned is, you know, don't just have people sitting around nothing just to make you feel good or to make you feel more powerful. Let them go. You need them somewhere and make them be there. But otherwise they have a life just like everybody else. Steve, thank you for your service too, brother. Appreciate everything you've done and continue to do. The best leaders in the military and in life lead from the front. Absolutely. They do. Absolutely. They do. The other thing I always tell people along with leading from the front is that people want to be led by better men and women than they are. And 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 I believe that. So, you know, you always gotta set the example. You always gotta have integrity, character all those kinds of things as well. And that goes from leading from the front. How how can you lead from the front if you're not setting the example? Yep, 100%. I remember when I got my first management job and I uh, broke down in Childress, Texas. Why couldn't you have broken down in Cleveland, Ohio? I could have had some company this weekend, brother. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. And I'm sorry. I'm laughing. I'm, I'm not laughing at you. I'm laughing instead of crying, brother. Um, so I get this job in management kind of quickly and I wasn't ready for it. And I said, dad, what do I do? And he said, never ask anybody to do anything that you're unwilling to do yourself. Absolutely. And I said, it's pretty close to leading from the front. It's it's right it's right up there. And I'll, I'll tell you, um, always going first, and, and never, you know, I never walked uh, past a piece of litter in a parking lot without picking it up, because I expected my people to take pride in their parking lot, and I expected them to pick it up. Well, if I don't pick it up, how well, can I late. expect them? Right? Absolutely. And. and, and Oak, I'm going to tell you a funny story. I'm looking for a sales rep. Now, up to this, it's just been me and my wife, Jenny, but you know, it's getting too big. I can't, I can't manage it. And there's this one rep who's just, he's the only guy that I consistently run into. And so I'm 
Um, it's eight o'clock at night and the store that I'm visiting, me and my wife were both visiting. He closed and we were just, you know, kibitzing. And, um, and I said, Tony, I need a rep. Tell me, tell me what you know, dude. You've been at this for a long time. He goes, Pete, I'd hire Nick Marcos. I go, really? Why would you hire Nick Marcos? I mean, he's, he seems like he's a good rep. He's always out there working. He goes, no, has nothing to do with that. I said, okay. He goes, you know, I have cameras. And I said, okay. He goes, well, I've had cameras for a long time. I said, okay. And he goes, Nick is the only person, Pete, who has ever picked up litter out of my parking lot and hasn't done it once or twice. He has never walked into one of my stores without picking something up and put it in a trash can. That guy cares about my business. That's the guy you should hire. And that was over 18 years ago. And he's still my business partner. Isn't that amazing? I mean, those it, are, it sounds simple, right? Right. But, but it, it's about pride. It's about wanting to be the best at whatever you do. Um, it's about taking care of not only people, but the organization. And you know, any leader who doesn't walk into a job, any job, every job, with the concept that you want to leave it better than you took it. And I, I'm questioning whether or not they're really a leader. They're a boss, they're whatever, but they're not really a leader because every leader wants to leave an organization better than they got it. Um, at least I always have. That's always been my goal. Yep. I It's halftime. So this is what we're going to do. I'm going to read a chapter in my book. Feel free to make any comments you want. Page 35, chapter 21, coach team members. There's a saying, inspect what you expect. And as business owners, you must stay on top of what employees and team members are doing. I wish it was different, but it isn't. You could implement every strategy in this book and still fail if your team is not on board and not doing things the way you need them done, especially if they have direct contact with prospects and customers. I've seen this happen more times than I like to remember where a store owner has done everything right and an employee undermines the entire system with the wrong attitude, behavior, or knowledge. It can kill a business. Don't let it happen to you. The best way to ensure your team has the same vision and follow through is to make them part of the marketing process and reward them for going for going extra steps. Hold frequent marketing strategy meetings where everyone has input. Keep team member, get team members buy-in and agreement with new marketing initiatives and systems. Help them realize their success is directly related to your customer success. As the owner, it's ultimately up to you to make sure employees and team members are doing the job you expect them to be doing. Stay on top of this all the time and see the difference it can make in your business. You might need to be patient with some of your employees at the beginning. Once they see and feel your commitment, they will come on board. If they don't, after a reasonable amount of time and consistent feedback, and I'm going to say that again, consistent feedback, 
because what I'm about to say could be controversial. They might no longer be a fit for your company. Please do not arbitrarily fire people in my name. Only after they don't respond to feedback over time do I suggest the F word. Let's say well, you. Let's that say is, you. That, 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 what a great chapter. I mean, you hit a couple really key things in there. I, I absolutely agree with you about the giving people a chance, but at some point. So one of the things I tell people is that here's the difference between a leader and a boss. And there is a difference. Um, a lead, you got to give feedback for a couple of reasons. One, because they want it. And it's easy as a leader to give great positive feedback. You know, everybody wants to pat somebody on their back and say, hey, you did a great job. We all want as as leaders as well. Where it gets hard is when you have to give negative feedback or feedback about people who aren't in a standard. And here's the difference between a leader and a boss. A boss walks up to you and says, you're not meeting the standard, fix it, and it walks away. A leader walks up to you and says, hey, you're not meeting the standard. Here's the standard. This is what you're doing. And this is how we are going to Not you fix it. We're going to and then you come up with a plan of how you're going to retrain, retool, re, uh, do whatever you teach persons to meet the standard that you are expecting them to meet. And then you go through, whether it's a six month program, a month, six months, a year, whatever time it is. At the end of that, whatever time that is, as long as you have gone through it with them, if they still aren't meeting the standard, then they have they have self-selected to work for you anymore. And at that point, it's okay. In fact, you should let them go and go find somebody who wants a standard that you are not only expecting, but training people. And, and that, that's the key. You got to train people. How many people, how many times have you ever seen an organization where they're expecting their people to be a standard, but they never train them to the standard? I mean, how how unfair is that? People that work for you, if you haven't met met them, meet the made them meet the standard, you haven't trained them to the standard that you're holding them to. Because look, it, that all takes time, money, effort, just like culture, and that's what we're talking about here is a culture, and the culture of your organization is the leader's responsibility initially, and then you get everybody to buy into that culture, and now it's the culture. It's the organization's culture and it's everybody's responsibility to hold that up. And that goes back to the trust thing. If I, not only for me to the leader and the leader to me, but to me and the other people that work in that organization, I trust that you're going to meet the standard, that you're going to live up to the, to the culture we have established. And, you know, I, I was talking to a young man here locally who was doubling the size of his, his company. He was going from 21 people to 43 people. And, and I asked him, I said, so how are you going to get everybody that you're hiring on? I said, cause you've got a great culture in your organization. How are you going to get people, all these double the size? How are you going to get them, into, you know, get them into your culture and understand the culture? I said, cause it takes time, training, money, effort. And he says, no, you're wrong. He said, all I got to do is hire the right people. And I said, good luck with that young man. Tell me how that works out for you. Um, because that's not the right answer. You have, he's going to get a culture. It's going to be the one he wants, but he's going to get one. 
if you want a certain culture, you have to train it. You have to teach it. You have to set an example about it. It takes time and effort to build that culture, but it's so important. You know, that that is, well, first of all, I agree. Second of all, I think it's wise to hire the right people to the oh, degree that you can. Absolutely. Absolutely. But, but you still have the, to train them. The Rory uh, Vaden quote that you have in the book, success is never owned. It is rented and the rent is due every day. And if you don't think that you're going to go from 21 to 43 and you're not going to make some mistakes in hiring, you're wrong. You're going to make some mistakes in hiring. And what you basically do is you hold them to the standards. When they don't meet the standards, they're not coachable. They, they're either going to understand that they don't fit and they're going to leave on their own or they're going to end up making you have to do what you don't want to do. I mean, everybody wants everyone to make it, but the reality is if they don't fit, you're hurting all the other people. And that's, that's another right. quote that's in, in your book. It's a Perry Belcher quote, right? A great quote. It's a great quote. I mean, but the, the best way to turn other people off, great people in your company, is by tolerating substandard performance. That's not the quote. It's much more elegant than that. It's more, that that's, that's the premise of it. Yeah. And, you know, the minute I saw that quote from uh, Perry Belger, here it is. Nothing will kill a great employee faster than watching you tolerate a bad one. And, you know, you asked him a really very complex question. Um, you know, how are, <laughs> I mean, that's not like a, a, a one sentence. You can't answer that question in one, in one sentence when you're doubling your company. Boy, you are going to be in a dogfight. You're going to, I mean, my sneaking suspicion and coach me up on this because I really want to, to understand it. If I, I would have my key people, I guess they'd have to be at least five to six strong that were like lockstep with me, uh, ultimate performers. And those people would have to help me instill the culture that we have with 21 to 43, I mean, it, you know, it, it's going to get thinned down if it's not fought for. And that, that's it, right. absolutely right. And I think, again, it goes, you got to train it, teach it, develop it. It doesn't just happen. And, and it doesn't just happen because everybody else is living by a certain culture. Um, so I think, you know, it goes back to, I'm a huge believer in professional development and not only for the leader, individual professional development, but pro professional development for your team, your organization. And that's part of it, bringing everybody along in the culture you want, the standards you expect, uh, the way you expect them to behave themselves inside the organization and represent the organization outside the organization while they're on duty and depending on your profession, maybe even out off the of duty. Um, but, but I think that if you don't have a professional development program and a lot of people, let's face it, when money gets tight in times like this, when money starts to tight, what's one of the first things people cut businesses cut is their professional development program. 
because it can't show, you can't show how much money brings in. Well, I'm, I'm going to argue you can't probably quantify how much money brings a professional development program, but I promise you it does. It pays for itself. And if, if you're having problems in your organization, the last thing you want to cut is professional development because it's your young leaders are the one that's going to bring you out of that problem. Um, so I think a couple of things with pro- professional development. It's, it's vital to developing the culture and the standards and the training that you want in your organization. And number two is if you don't have that professional development program that shows people in your organization that there is a path for them to move up in the organization to become a leader, if that's what they want to do, if you aren't showing them a way to do that in your organization, they're going somewhere that does. You know, it goes back to the Richard Branson quote. I don't know if I put that one in the book or not. I use it in my presentation all the time. You got to train people well enough that they can leave. You got to treat them well enough that they don't want to. It's in there. It's yeah. in there, brother. And if, and if you don't, if you don't have a method for, to move up, they're going to go find somebody that does. Um, because, because in the end, again, it's all about the people. It's if let's just look this example. I use this all the time. You look at all the great sports teams out, the ones who make it playoffs every year to championship, the ones who are consistently good. They are the ones who build from their farm team, from their grass. They're not the ones who go out and. Millions and millions and millions of dollars on a free agent for one year. Every once in a while, that works out and gets them to, to the next level. But the people who are consi- the teams who are consistently good develop from the farm team. Now, I got it. Organizations, every once in a while, you're going to have to go look for somebody outside the organization. And that's good every once in a while because you get new blood. But the majority of your leaders moving up through the ranks should come from inside your organization. That's motivating to the people who work for you. They know the culture. They know the standards. And they can make sure that the next group of people coming in, they can teach it to them. I love the Phil Jackson quote. Good teams become great ones when the team members trust each other enough to surrender the me for the we. That is so, so powerful. And, and I mean, you can talk about the, the Bulls and his team. I mean, he certainly had the talent, but lots of people have had talent, never won a championship. Not only he went one, but he went six. Um, so obviously he, he, he knows a little bit about leadership. Yeah, there, there is no doubt. So there was a question I had, um, in, and I'm not sure that it was addressed in the book, but I know that you had to address this in your 23 years in, in the military. You know, you told the story about your dad and how he was your baseball coach. My dad was my football coach briefly. Um, he aggravated me so much trying to get me to trying to get me to hit a sled so hard that I hit the sled like slightly before he blew the whistle and I knocked him right off of it. And the rest of the coaches decided we should be kept apart. Uh, But, you know, it's obvious to me you had a great dad who really coached you and and did did a great job, just like my dad. I mean, 
I didn't agree with some of his methods, but oh, absolutely. I mean, I love, I, I, I so blessed that I had a father who was hard on me and, uh, you know, uh, here's my question. Um, and obviously you were, and you were a standout athlete. And as I'm reading this, I'm just going, this dude is a stud. This dude is a stud. And I'm like, I wonder if he played sports. And then a couple of pages later, you go into the whole baseball thing. And I'm like, I knew it. I knew it. I knew it. But here's my question. You know, when you have the raw materials to work with, you've got a young recruit, Oak, and here he comes from a good background and a good family. It must be a lot easier to work with him than somebody that did, came from a broken home, may not have been taught a lot of things that they should have been taught. You know, that's a $64,000 question. You know, Tony Amato, the same guy that gave me the, the advice to hire Nick uh, and make him my business partner 18, over 18 years ago. He said this to me, Pete, I can tell, I can teach anybody how to sell a mattress. He goes, this is what I need. I need somebody who was raised with morals and basic courtesy. If they were raised with morals and basic courtesy, I, I can teach them to sell a mattress if they want to sell a mattress and, and they can be not just good. They could be great. And I thought, okay, that's interesting. But you know, sometimes as a leader, you have less than the ideal person with the ideal background. And sometimes those people who sometimes we might look at as a piece of coal are diamonds in the rough. And how do we polish that person and care for that person and bring out the best in them? I'll give you a perfect example. I took over my ROTC program um, and I, a young freshman, a young man walk in freshman year. First, I looked at him. I said, yeah, that, that young man's never going to make it. But I, he, his attitude, he kept coming. He kept coming back. He kept coming back. He kept wanting to learn more. kept wanting to do more. And, and so I treated him exactly like anybody, somebody I thought was a superstar that I had recruited to come into the program. And I gave him the same training, gave him the same advice, gave him the same amount of time. And a sophomore year, second semester sophomore year, I kind of saw the light bulb go off in this young man's hand, head. And it was like, he finally understood, finally started to figure out what it was I was asking him to do, the person I was asking him to be. And, and that, that young man ended up being the battalion commander for the ROTC program his senior year. And he just made the lieutenant's colonel's list in the United States Army. You just don't think that makes me feel old. Uh, I, I was a lieutenant colonel when I recruited him, and now he's on the lieutenant colonel's list. Um, but so that just proves your point. You know, you, ha you have to treat everybody the same, and you have to give them the same opportunities. Some of them are going to thrive and move up much quicker than others. Some of them, it may take them a little while. Some of them may not ever move up. You know, that's one of the problems in our society, and we are up or out mentality society that you always got to be moved up. Well, 
Maybe that's not what you want. Maybe you're happy just selling services and you don't want to be in a leadership position or a management position. You just want to come to work every day and sell mattresses and go home and do whatever it is you do at home. If that's really what you want, that, that should be okay as long as you're doing a job. What I'm talking about is you give that opportunity to those people who want to move up and want to become managers or leaders. But you got to treat everybody the same and you got to train them the same. And then they can decide if they want to move up or if they want to stay with what, what they're doing as long as you're with standards. That's, uh, that is so important. And, and, you know, it goes back to that, that feedback loop. Um, you know, I am sure that that young man did not do everything perfectly the way it was supposed to be done the first try, but he kept at it. And as long as he was still trying, you were trying with him and you were, I'm sure, coaching him along the way and giving him the feedback that he needed to grow. One of the things that separates high achievers from those who don't achieve is our coachability. And the interesting thing that I found is, you know, some, uh, some young men in your situation with your dad's uh, coaching uh, could have said, you know, my, you know, this is too much. You know, he's too demanding, blah, 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 blah. But you were like a student and you were always trying to get better. And obviously you did. And you performed at extremely high levels. And I think this is true in sales. I think it's true in business. I think it's true in all areas of life. Absolutely. People who really desire to get better, number one, listen to other people. They are coachable. And the other thing that I love that you put in your book was the, this whole idea of, of self-improvement, of 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 being hungry uh, for additional knowledge and reaching out to books and to really anything. It could be a podcast. It could be a book. It, it doesn't matter. It could be a seminar. It's this, this idea that I am here as a student. And I get the sense, Oak, that you are very much still a student, even though you are a master of leadership, you are still a student. You are looking every Absolutely. day to learn something new. So, so, you know, I, in my book I, and anytime I talk to people about, leadership, I, I talk about the importance of keeping a leadership journal, you know, and, and I, I'm a firm believer of that. And I wasn't always a senior first Lieutenant. I, I'll tell how I got to where I believe in a journal. Senior first lieutenant, I'm sitting in an auditorium waiting to listen to Lieutenant General Hal Moore. For those in the audience who don't remember who he was, he was a Vietnam uh, commander, lieutenant colonel in Vietnam. In that movie, We Were Soldiers Once and Young, was about him and his unit, and Mel Gibson played him in the movie. One of the most decorated and probably one of the best combat officers the country's ever produced. And so I'm a senior first lieutenant. I'm sitting in the front row waiting for him to come out on stage and talk. And my boss walks by me, lieutenant colonel, and he walks by me and he says, Oh, what are you doing? 
And I said, well, I'm waiting for General Moore to talk. And he said, and you've got nothing to write on? He said, one of the most, one of the best combat arms officers this country's ever produced, one of the most highly decorated soldiers in American Army's history, is about ready to talk and you're not going to write anything down? Shame on you. And he went and sat down. That never happened again. I don't care. Even two weeks ago, when I was at a fiduciary association conference, when I, I gave the keynote speech, I was the first person to get up and talk. After that, I spent time in breakout sessions and other presentations. I always had a notebook and I'm writing down things that they're talking about that I can learn from them. Because the day you don't think you can learn something else, go do something else. Because you, you're no good at organization anymore. We all can learn. I don't care how long you've been doing what you're doing. You can always learn something. That's a great story about the leadership journal. Um, yeah, you know, I always have something to write on and, and something to write with. And I'll never forget when I broke into the business and I didn't have a pen. And my father-in-law said, remember this, as long as you live, son, every good painter carries his brush. And if you're a salesperson and you don't carry a pen, you're out of business. (laughs) So I got the same, maybe dressed up a little bit, but uh, it never happened again. It never happened again. And and you're, you're talking about wanting to improve. I think that's huge for people. Successful people want to be the best at whatever they do. It always amazes me when some, usually it's a young person, will walk up to me. Because I'm, I'm a firm believer you ought to want to be the best at whatever it is you do. And I get people who walk up to me and they say, well, you know, Colonel McCullough, I don't judge myself against other people. I only judge myself against myself. And I said, that's great. You should judge yourself against yourself every day. Every day when you wake up, you should want to be a little bit better than you were yesterday at whatever it is that you Absolutely. But if you don't think that you're being judged against other people who are doing the same thing you're doing, you are pretty naive because you are. And, and you should be. That's how we pick promotion. That's how we pick pay raises. That's how we decide who's going to be the next president of whatever or organization or whatever. It's how you stack up against other people who are doing this thing you do. And my father, you know, dr- drilled this the, the Lord. And he had, as I was growing up, this thing called the 75% rule. And he said, son, if you can't do something better than 75% of the people doing it, then you need to do one of two things. You either need to figure out how to get better at it, or you need to go do something else because obviously it doesn't matter to you. I want to win at everything I do. I don't care if I'm playing old maid with my nine-year-old granddaughter. I want to win. And if you don't want to win, I don't want you on my team. <laughs> I'm laughing because I'm the same way, despite my best efforts. Success, not to be. Successful people are. We yeah. want to win. We want to, to be successful. Not only do we want to be successful, we want the people who are associated with us to be successful and our organization to be successful. That's, that's how successful people think. Yeah. A hundred percent. Well, before we say goodbye, I want to say once again, thank you for your service. I come from a long line of military people. 
And my brother retired from the Marine Corps as a lieutenant colonel. And uh, I have some understanding of the sacrifices you and your family have made for many, many years. And, and so thank you. Well, I appreciate that, Pete. I always tell people, look, it was an honor and a privilege to serve this nation and well, this. So, but thank you. Now, my, my, my pleasure. And Oak, somebody is going to watch this and they're going to say, I like that dude. And some people I, are going to watch it and say they don't like that. I That's saw you on Larry Levin's show on a Saturday morning and I said, I like that dude. And then you answered another question and you went off and you told a story and I'm like, no, I don't like that dude. I love that dude. That that's like my kind of dude right there. And uh, then we hooked up, and uh, you know, we, this is the first time we could get you on the on the schedule. So, how does somebody get a hold of of you? So uh, you can go to my website, okay? www.ltcoakmacullough, um, and I think in the room there are the note. Um, and on there, it has my web, has my email, has my cell phone number. If you want to talk to me, if you want to schedule a show or do a speaking engagement, just give me a call, shoot email, and we'll hop on uh, a conversation and talk about whatever it is you want to talk about. Oak, I could have done this for three hours. I swear to God, we could break Joe Rogan's record and yes. never and never cover the same thing twice. It was yeah. This has been fun. It really has. And you know, I always tell people. I, I was telling. Uh, I think this is the 113th show I've been on. And you always know when it's a good show because you're when it's ready to wrap up. You're like an hour went by already. I know. It's like I want to keep going, but I I can't. I, my poor producer Chris. I. Well, I'm going to give him a heart attack if I don't hurry up and wrap it up. So thanks again, Oak. Anybody that wants to get a hold of Oak, just wa watch this. His website's on there. Uh, go to the website and guys, buy his book, Your Leadership Legacy. You want to be a better leader? You want to be a better manager of your business? Grab it. No, my my absolute pleasure. Have a great day and thank you for being on the show. Pleasure, absolutely.